Hey, over here. You look like a person of <clears throat> distinctive tastes. Well, you've come to the right place. Follow me through this alley. To the wrong side of the tracks. Through this sewer pipe. And around, and around the bed. The bed. The sleazy, slimy world called the funny, the funny book book underbelly. underbelly. All right, welcome to the premiere episode of the Funny Book Underbelly. The <laughs> working title. Um, yeah, this is going to be the chance that I've been talking about for the last three years to. Uh, Start talking about some of the weirder and more underground and uh, and and the the comic books I read. And with me is my buddy and co-host Johnny Bueno or Jack. What are you? What what name do you want? Do you want to be on this show? Do you want to be Johnny Bueno and have your like a cool persona name, or do you want to be Down to Earth Jack? Well, you know, if you really have to ask, then I, I'm not really sure myself. <laughs> You know, it's not too convincing. I think Johnny Bueno, Johnny Bueno was an earlier persona, but uh, the hair fell out, and I kind of, <laughs> I kind of outgrew the leisure suit. You know exactly which one I'm talking about. Yeah, you were. In, there was just <laughs> a very small period of time where that leisure suit was working, and then it wasn't working, and then it was ironic, and now it's just impossible. Uh, <laughs> no, it's just pitiful, actually. <laughs> So well, anyway, yeah, we're bringing this show on with a blast. We got a we got a guest to to start it all out. Of of course, bringing gravitas to the yeah. show instead of just two slobs. Then we've got Roblox like... in any case. <laughs> I resemble that remark. Yes, welcome Dan Fogel. Thank you for welcoming me, Johnny Bueno and Chris. It is darn glad to be here. I am. So we are kind of thinking since. You know, both being underground fans and at least being the completest or semi-completest that I am, I have many of different publishings that you have put out over the years. And uh, I, I found in thumbing through these, essentially we've been able to stitch through the different portions and times of your life. Uh-oh. Which uh, seems, I think, you know, a rather interesting piece. I'm not sure how many people know who Dan Fogel is, but Dan is uh, probably most most famous, I would say now, uh, as the author, the publisher of the Underground Comic Books Price Guide, the FUG, the Fogel's Underground Comic Book Price Guide. Fug you, motherfucker. <laughs> fug you, fug me. And, uh, well, you know, quite frankly, for, for us underground collectors, it's, it's something that was long overdue for a long time and with his energy and his uh his passion for for all comics but particularly the undergrounds uh he's done a lot for uh the underground industry with this so so yeah uh i'm not sure chris if you had anything to add to that or uh, oh no no i thought that was uh that was just wonderful (laughs) (laughs) it's a good starting point Right. Well, I mean, for those who don't know, and, you know, there's uh, maybe, Dan, you could tell us about um, a little bit about that. I mean, as far as that coming together and uh, 
Yeah, well, especially sure. the, the first one. Yeah, well, absolutely. Well, you know, the first one came out, you know, at the very beginning of uh, January of 2006. It actually premiered at the end of the month at the FX show in Orlando. Mm-hmm. I had S. Clay Wilson with me and the cover model uh, playmate uh, Terry Weigel. So that was a fun way to get it launched. But it, it took years of, you know, brainstorming and networking and invaluable contributions from friends and volunteers, um, as did the uh, the supplement, which came out a couple of years ago, which updated prices and added a couple of, uh, you know, extra sections. And now, yeah. you know, we're announcing the next big one, which is going to be out the end of next year, which will be even bigger and incorporate everything plus, you know, price updates for what's gone up you know, in the last couple of years. Uh, but it was needed. I mean, I, I had the advantage of having been, you know, hanging out with the artists since I was a little kid, being a retailer since I was in high school, you know, and then a creator and publisher for the past 20 years. So I really got to see just about everything. Right. And you got your start over uh, over by UC Berkeley? Yeah, I worked for uh, Bob Beerbaum. Um I had been selling at conventions for about three years before that, but he offered me a job at Best of Two Worlds, which was a couple blocks down from campus and uh, like a couple blocks from the dorm. So, you know, the only place I applied. How can you go wrong with that? Right. Um, and when, back then, were you selling, I mean, what sort of stuff were you selling? Were you selling, I'm, I'm assuming, mostly mainstream stuff or was well, there gold, even a market yeah, I mean, back then age, for underground? Yeah, pretty much, you know, golden age, you know. Detective 27s, Captain America ones, you know. Yeah. For, by 86, I had a Marvel one and a Superman one. So let's just say, you know, top 20 books, um, you know, a lot of Golden Age, a lot of Silver. Things hadn't gotten quite so crazy yet, you know, then, you know, original art. I mean, I've been going to cons since like 74. So, you know, I wasn't quite there at the earliest wave but i was there halfway through the first wave i guess so well, how old were you at your first yeah hour? you were young yeah. were you like eight years old yeah 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 i was uh born like oh, december 65 awesome. so yeah Holy yeah cow. oh like, you're so lucky man <laughs> i was in such a backwater jerkwater town that you know it wasn't until i i think i was in in high school maybe yeah, before high, i got to my first kind of comic show and it was you know two hours away and it was kind of pretty half-assed and it was kind really of exciting. pretty half-assed <laughs> yeah, yeah. it's really exciting you know <laughs> going to the big city in syracuse <laughs> and but oh. it, the thing is before that i mean since i was a little kid i'd been i was exposed to the underground stuff before the mainstream stuff so i have this weird topsy-turvy sort of thing you know yeah well i was virtually simultaneously exposed to them so i I was gonna gonna ask did you have a first underground comic that you remember like being the first one you saw that was just like this isn't like anything else or or was it just something that was just there well the first one that yeah well certainly whether or not i saw zap zero first Uh you know in a barber shop or whether or not my stepbrother gave me Freak Brothers 3 first and had the Fat Freddy Keed Spills poster. That would have been like the summer of 74. So I would have been like 8. So yeah, around the same. So there, my dad was buying me um, National Lampoon by the end of that year. So really a few years 
but and then most of my mostly it's always been both side by side. You see, I think I, I think our culture has sort of gone downhill, and I can sort of trace from the point where <laughs> National Lampoon stopped coming out, or, or there was a little while where somebody bought it up or something, and it was a completely new staff, and someone they tried to hip it up and short attention span it up, and it was, you know, somebody had bought the license to it or something, but. Man, that yeah. was a great magazine. We used to call that National Lamporn when we were in, in <laughs> high school. No, it was Funny influential enough. on a lot of us, absolutely. Very important, yeah. many levels. So, you know, so, I was able to finally get the regular National Lampoon series into the supplement, and then one of the things I'll be adding new to the new big bug to Electric Boogaloo is uh, all the National Lampoon specials and books and things like that. Oh, great. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's exposed to Von Bodie, Cheech Wizard, Sherry Flanagan, Trots and Bonnie, uh, Bobby London's Dirty Duck, um, anything Gan Wilson did, but especially Nuts, mm-hmm. uh, and all the comic book parodies, right? Knock Fury, what was it? Uh, no, no, G. Gordon Liddy, Agent of Creep. Yes. The guys who grew up being twisted by Harvey Kurtzman and Matt and that whole generation of you know, Spike Jones and um, what's yeah, his Basil face? Kovacs. Yeah, all those guys in the radio c- comics and the Lenny Bruce and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. All those guys, they're the ones who, who synthesized it and did the undergrounds. And then by doing that, they influenced us. Right. You know, so it's. Uh, yeah, it's amazing how quickly it went from like Ernie Kovacs and and that stuff to uh, like Arkham and and the underground stuff. How how fast that evolved, you know? Oh yeah, yeah. That evolved. I want to say that like you know the amount of depravity and stuff in it because a lot. It's funny because mm-hmm. a lot of that that early stuff was sort of decried as being you know you know at, at the most yeah. of it, Lenny Bruce being the most depraved of, of, of all of that stuff. And of course it's relatively tame now, but it did, it did sort of, uh, it did sort of twist the mind of the youth. Like they said, they yeah, said the emperor has no clothes essentially. I mean, in the way that yeah. mad did, he, he pushed it to the next level, just like Henry Miller and Nabokov were doing with fiction, mm-hmm. you know, um, that was a time when people were pushing the barriers and in the comic book, was a very important part of that whole movement, you know, probably because of the fact that people only thought of it as being a children's medium. Yeah, and it and it could slip slip between the cracks. Yep, yep, after the suppressions and the book burnings and the DC being banned and all that stuff, these guys were determined to prove that comics could be as vital and equal a medium as anything else. And yeah, the depravity, sure. They want is no, we can't do sex or violence or any of this other kind of stuff. Uh-huh. Then we'll do it as farther than anyone's ever seen it. Plus, these guys were all whacked up on dope, so you know it didn't really, uh, you know, it wasn't a problem overcoming their inhibitions and pushing right. the envelope. You know, yeah, set and setting was definitely in play and yeah, and all that. And and it's funny you could, uh, yeah, you can you can just tell when you're reading an underground comic period when it came from that time period you know that yeah that that zap time period it was um if it's stream of consciousness you know or if it's like overly too many lines or too much text you know it was the guy (laughs) on speed was the guy on sd and sometimes you know for sure because they tell you mainstream guys too 
mainstream writers do. Oh yeah, I do that series on coke, but I write this one on weed. You know, so it's and God knows there were enough alkies back in the day in mainstream <laughs> comics and Hollywood. You know, and I'm sure. <laughs> I mean, you look at the Fleischer animation of like the 30s and 20s and tell me they weren't smoking pot. You know, those New York Jews, my you know our ancestors. You know. <laughs> yeah. I... So you know, I think um, artists have always pushed the barrier, right? Mm -hmm. The guys that were doing the absinthe in the late 19th century, you know, Strindberg mm -hmm. and Gauguin, all those perverts, Clint, you know, they were doing the same thing. They had their groupies, they were doing drugs and pushing the boundaries of art, you know, impressionism, expressionism, it's all, you know, San Francisco in the 60s just happened to be ground zero for a lot of things, and comics were equal, co-equal part of that. See, I, I was lucky enough when I was a little kid. My my father was really into solar energy and and alternate energy, and uh, mm. somebody told him about the Whole Earth Catalog, mm. and he'd get the Whole Earth Catalog. And I loved looking through the Whole Earth Catalog as a kid because it was just it was just full of neat stuff. Yeah. And he eventually they they did a quarterly magazine called it was at first a Coevolution Quarterly. Yeah. And then I think it's a whole. I think it's still growing. I think it's a Whole Earth Review now. And every month it was guaranteed there was going to be an R. Crumb comic and there was going to be a Dan O'Neill comic. Yeah, yeah. Well, funny you should say that because I am adding Coevolutionary Quarterly to the guide. I did have the oh. last supplement to the Coevolutionary <laughs> You I like? The last supplement with the you like that, Chris? I do like that. <laughs> you know, I even have a copy of the Whole Earth Catalog, a big black version of it. So, mm -hmm. but yeah, I mean, there's, and I'm going to be scanning the covers soon. I've got some from various sources, you know, O'Neill covers and. You know, some of the crumb stuff so yeah part of what we're doing is saying yeah this was in this issue and this was in that issue and that's what it was worth that's why I, I, why I had my supplement called the supplement and the logo looked like the logo from the whole earth last supplement uh, you know, play last supplement the first supplement you know right. I get so, it yeah yeah, see, yeah. Uh, I think my <laughs> mother my mother was the 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 censor in our family the one who would try to keep everybody away from R-rated movies and stuff and if she had bothered to read the whole Earth review, she probably would have kept me away from it. But I don't think she was interested in it. Yeah. So I think I just lucked out and was able to sort of slip between the cracks. And then, then at one time I was at some sort of solar energy fair, and I got a hold of a Dan O'Neill comics and story, the one with it where he's like writing the Jabberwocky on the cover of it. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I was I was sold from that point on. Cool. Well, and then I can find them. Some of the plans we've got coming yeah, up. Yeah, I will. So I had a question as far as and, and seeing this this upcoming uh, underground price guide, the expanded edition. Yeah. Um, you, you got it posted here on your your Facebook. Got it, the the great shot of was it Doctor Feelgood number one, right? Yeah, that's just a mock up cover um, that we threw in there because you know Frank's going to do something completely original for us. Frank Stack, Fulbert Sturgeon. You know, the first underground cartoonist or co-equal the first with Von Bode, you know, however you want to rank it. Um, yeah, so um, M. Stephen Fox, my partner, the design genius, uh, um, database genius, my partner in the FUD, um, he'd grabbed the cover of Dr. Feelgood from the cover of Feelgood Funnies 2, and he slapped in the MLF logo from the poster they did, you know, with the Mickey right. Mouse fish. And... Uh, even occurred to me afterwards, kind of made a but new expanded edition, and 
Dr. Feelgood certainly has an expanded girth, so, you know, we might play around with the logo for that, I was thinking. Cool. You know. What's yeah. the dimensions? Is this going to be, like, the same dimensions as your Snatch Comics Treasury, or is it going to be, like, larger, like the supplement? Oh, no, no, no. The original is going to be price guide size. I mean, both of my price guides were approximately 8.5 by, you know, 8 by 8.5 by 11. So, right. magazine size. This will just be thicker. It'll be at least 512 pages. Wow. So, that's going to be almost like a catalog. Well, one of the kind things of that's going to, It was going to be thicker anyway, because there's going to be a hell of a lot more entries, but... Now we have to have them one per line, kind of like Krauss does with their uh, their standard catalog, because um, the database, that's the way we're going to have to do it for all the digital. You know, there's going to be a lot of digital stuff hitting around the same time um, as the hard copy at the end of next year, December, or this year, December 2012. So that's one of the reasons it's going to be back again. You know, it's going to be a little thicker. But yeah, there's going to be a lot more titles added to the main section. There'll be lot more European, you know, mainland European stuff and other foreign added to the British UK section. There'll be a lot more minis added, you know. Amsterdam, Dutch Deutschland, all that, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. I've been tracking lots of different stuff. Absolutely. You know, individual book reprints, uh, trade trade collections. Uh, I'm going to camp out at Spain's one afternoon and go through all his foreign reprints of his own stuff, you know. Sweet. Got a lot more access to the info than I did several years ago. You know, you can only fit so much. Uh, I think what I'll do this time is we'll do the <clears throat> main body of it first, and then we'll see how much, how many minis and foreign stuff we can shove in there. Because mm-hmm. um, there is a hard and fast deadline on this. So and then every other year we'll do a big fug. No more supplements, but, but there'll be various digital projects going on uh, also, which you'll be hearing about later in the year. I have a question. Yes. As the as the price guide guru, is there w- would you say there's a, there's a underground comic that would be like a holy grail or a sort of um, action number one? That... Well, certainly, as far as a holy grail for a lot of people, the action one is generally considered to be um, you know the first printing of Zap comics from you know February 1968. Zap number one. Yeah, Zap Comics number one. It says Mm -hmm. uh, on the back of it in blue lettering, you know, printed by Charles Plymel, the famous beat uh, figure, poet and printer. Um, So that's certainly one that's, it's they're out there. It's expensive. Most people would want that in their collection. But I'll tell you, and there's other things that people want that every good collection should have, like first printing freaks and all the freak brothers. But I'll tell you something ya, that's just rare, though, you know, maybe I was not about even to say, as I, I historically think tales important. From the Oz- well, certainly the adventures of Jay, you know, Frank, speaking of Frank Jack and Fulbert Sturgeon, those first few photocopied ones, you know, those are there's hardly any of those surviving now. And those are the big, big money there. So that would be the right. grail for a lot of guys. Well, but I would Laredo. say something that people could actually achieve and still find copies of has to be tales from the ozone number one. Right. Um, you know, packaged by Carl Lundgren for Russ Gibb uh, with the Crumb cover because Crumb was staying with Carl and his wife when he was working on that in Detroit. He was also working on Motor City Comics at the same time, coincidentally. Uh, so everyone's got Tales from the Ozone 2, but Tales from the Ozone 1, I would say that's the breakout book to look for. Um, it's just not a- easy to find. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, I, I've been watching one that actually popped up on on eBay for the first time in months, and <laughs> it's 
It's at three fifty, and the reserves not met yet. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, hey, you know, they're they ain't printing more of them. You know, right. I used to think, you know, mini comics. It took me a while to, you know, I certainly didn't put many mini comics. Say that three times fast in the first guide, and I didn't break them out. Uh, but I finally saw enough of them in in the wild, and I have enough of the own photocopied comics I did back in the 70s so you know as far as counterfeits you know yeah cost cost more these days to make your own copy than to just buy the fucking book so I'm not (laughs) I I think we can all if we're going to spend the kind of money I think we can tell when we're looking at 40 year old photocopy paper you know yeah we were you know it's (laughs) funny you say that because I've been going through a lot of the uh been on a real Starhead comics kick lately, and they did a lot of yeah. minis back in the early to mid '90s. Great stuff, absolutely. And they sent me a list of stuff and some samples. Mike Dowers, uh, Bruce Crislip, uh, you know X XEX or yeah, he's great. I just saw a bunch of his paintings and Bill Leach's collection. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, no Starhead, great, great, uh, great people. But- yeah, back when they had uh, J.R. Williams doing a lot of those, and uh, Dennis Warden did a few of those, and yep, yep. So, see, one of the things I love about underground comics is there's probably hundreds, if not thousands, of titles out there that just nobody even knows about that were printed up in one city. Yeah, regional you know, stuff. Yeah, or, yeah, you know, or vanity printing, or a kid who's at, he, you know, he and his friends were at a college where they had a printing press. Oh, I yeah. mean, I I had a garage that was attached to a house that we rented, and it had a bundle of, um, what were they called? Depraved comics, and it was somebody's underground comic. I think his name was like Quentin Bryfogel or something like that. Eh. Never heard of him. Ever before, I've I've try. I have one of them from the bundle. I slipped one out of the bundle, and I've oh. looked around for it and never heard anything of it. It was probably something the guy did in college just for the hell of it, and uh, you know stuff like that's got to be turning up every once in a while. And oh yeah, well help me. You'll have to help me document that. We'll put that in the new fug. That would be funny. That would be especially funny if this person ran across it. Well, there's <laughs> stuff know. that was in Kennedy's 1982 guide that only he had seen and only a few people had seen. There's one or two things in my guide that only me and my immediate friends had seen because it was so regional, you know. You had to have been at that one convention in, you know, 1982 or 81 and catch the guy in the five minutes he was in the room, you know. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. So have you ever picked up stuff from uh, various collectors that, they ended up actually getting big later on, like just when they were just starting out, pick up original stuff like that. Oh, you mean well, just in terms of creators that got hotter later and I got lucky picking it up? Yeah. Kind of thing. Well, certainly I met some guys earlier in their careers and they gave me comps or we traded stuff that, and they later got, you know, big or bigger, like, you know, the Kevin Eastman I'm still friends with, you know, Matt Wagner met them earlier on. Um, Mini comics guys, well, they're not mini comics guys now. They're indie alternative, but I gave them their first gig, Eric Jones and Landry Walker, in Cherry Min- in Cherry Mini Number Two. And mm-hmm. actually, my Cherry Mini comics are worth more than my Offset books. Some of them are going 
number ones going for 50 bucks in New York. So I don't even remember how many were printed, and I'm the guy who printed them. So there you go. Wow. Well, there you go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> have to get on that, get a count on those for the fug. Yeah, but you know, uh, Brubaker, I mean, Ed Brubaker, I mean, he was local. He was in Oakland. I mean, we used to, used to hang out with me. I mean, right. my, my old place in Berkeley was a big hangout. You'd, you'd find, you know, you know, underground guys there as more mainstream guys there just hanging out or retailers. It was just basically beautiful thing about the comic book industry. It's always been democratic that people... You know, there's no really weird barriers. You know, it's not like, uh, well, it's become that way because of Comic-Con. You know, so now, yeah, it is possible to be beaten up by Frank Miller or Neil Gaiman's bodyguard. But you know, <laughs> uh, but it's not like Roy Thomas's bodyguard is going to bitch slap you if you get too close to Roy, you know. Right, right. Uh, Roy so the boy. Is, yeah, yeah. Um, so it is a great, you know, and they've always, you know, the comic books have comic book creators have always appreciated the retailers since the birth of the direct market. Let's face it. Uh, retailers, the front line really. I mean, yeah, I mean, they're the ones who stick their neck out. They're right there. They're the supply line. They're the ones who've risked, take the financial risk in a lot right. of cases to, to bring it there to people. Well, and with undergrounds, they even take a legal risk a lot of times too. Well, sure, exactly. And that's where you get the comic book legal defense fund. I mean, yeah. you can't can't say enough about that and their fine work over the decades. Yeah, there have been retailers arrested for selling my books and other people's books. There have been cartoonists arrested and banned from doing their own comics or even drawing anything. I mean, so and certainly other countries don't even get me started on over other countries and books being seized and stuff oh. like that. So, yeah. So freedom ain't free motherfuckers. You know, there's still, uh, still a lot to do, you know, and there's still fucking cartoonists being killed and beaten up in other countries too. So, you know, underground is just what, you know, people don't want to acknowledge as being reality in a lot of cases. Right. So, mm -hmm. So how's the uh, the feedback been with the uh, Snatch Comics Treasury? Yep, overwhelmingly, you know, pretty good. Um, you know, certainly our the design work, you know, that, that M. Stephen Fox again did, I think it's just fantastic. And it was clearly, it was definitely a labor of love for those of us who put it together. I mean, it was the last thing that Don Donahue was working on, you know, uh, my mentor, you know, the first publisher of Underground Comics, you know. Is R. Crumb's partner in Apex Novelties, who printed, you know, and published the first uh, Zap comics. Uh, he did anonymously. He had published uh, Snatch Comics one, two, and three, and in some other dirty books. That small digest size. Uh, yeah, we were yeah. talking about that before. I think if you want to talk about it as far as the uh, for for those who who really like it down and dirty, as far as Holy Grails. Um, yeah. Cut Comics number one is 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 somewhere in that top five, I would say. Oh yeah, uh, it's a, it's a great book. I mean, uh, certainly you got your, you know, the the white copy editions are certainly more rare than the regular pulp editions. There are only a thousand printed anyway, and most of those were destroyed in the fire or ripped off by the firemen. Thousand oh, a thousand total, or the thousand first first editions. Thousand printed total. Wow, because the art was burned up there too. Uh. Now, if things get go well, cross your fingers, then maybe, and I've talked to some of the guys about this, that maybe we'll do a second edition where we reprint Cunt and Jizz and Felch and 
maybe silver screen and you know that kind of thing sleazy scandals of the silver screen so yeah absolutely about that and for all you listeners out there they're all fine comics and you should go find them right now and uh, you see the thing i found that you mentioned cherry um earlier is every no matter the people who don't read you know dirty comics or or that kind of stuff they've still read cherry pop tart Everybody, yeah. I, I was, I was saying, oh yeah, I'm recording. I've been talking to, you know, I'll be talking to a friend. I'm recording an interview with Jack in a couple of days of this, and oh yeah, well, we're gonna do underground and some smut comics, and they'd always go cherry pop tart, yeah. stuff like cherry pop tart, and I'm like, actually, yes. Yeah, so you are familiar with this guy's work. So there are a lot of people yeah. <laughs> familiar with your work. Cool, cool. I was way, very, very way fortunate familiar to... with your work. To, to be there with Larry Wells, the creator, and run around with him and learn what's going on. And, you know, it was a great time. Cherry was the best-selling underground adult book of, of his decade, you know. I, it, I think it's just because it was so good-natured, you know. There was just yes. such, uh, you know, there wasn't, because really a lot of the underground stuff could be, you know, it was going in the sort of William Burroughs direction of, you know, Really, some of it could be taken for the anti-women snuff comics that Trina and her friends thought it was, or just or anti-human or or whatever. Or yeah, ironically, right. those yeah, there were worse books in the '80s and '90s than the '60s. Uh huh. Oh, as far I'm as sure. that goes, but you know, but that's the thing—you got to defend people's right to do sick or stupid or puerile shit. Well, there, yeah. Well, there's a to- there's a total place for it, and I I mean, I got a and I I hate saying this because I always get the same reaction and. Well, you you don't know me, so you don't have you you won't have the reaction. But Jack will do it. I'll, yeah. You know, I was reading that's that crazy. I I got I even got a hold of like Naked Lunch when I was like ten years old or something like that. Cool. And you know, and the and and some of Dan O'Neill's and R. Crumb stuff that was in the Coevolution Quarterly was pretty raunchy or or disturbing and stuff. And I think I turned out okay, right, Jack? Yeah. <laughs> well, see. see? Yeah. <laughs> Well, you, know, I, you hey, see, I almost all... don't want to admit, you know, to to have read, you know, I've said and like, oh, I saw all these horrible, gory movies too when I was a kid, and it didn't hurt me none. And people go, oh, okay. <laughs> well, you know something? There's fucking violence and bloodshed and fairy tales in the Bible, so let's sure. Let's and uh, sex. Yeah, let's call. Sex. Let's yeah, let us call a verily. Let us call a spade a spade, as they say, except not black people. So. There's, a, there's a lot of there's a lot of dirty, dirty, kinky, inbred. Yeah, people. You know, real life is always yeah. more amazing than anything people can think up for fiction. Stranger so. in fiction. Yeah. Well, do you think there's anybody today who's who? Who would you say today that's doing new stuff that's really pushing the boundaries? Well, you know, currently. Fortunately, you know, ja- you know, I published a few books by Kieran Dwyer about yeah. a decade ago. Speaking of people who were sued and free speech and all that, and Jack actually was reading them back in the day. He was telling me when he was over here a few weeks ago. So was Chris. Yeah, cool. We're both very familiar with LCD. Oh, we both love LCD comics. Yeah. So Kieran and all his friends back then, all the artists there, they were definitely, and certainly some of the nastiest shit I ever wrote was an LCD one. Um, So he was definitely, you know, and certainly would like to bring that back in a trade at the very least. And uh, certainly in some of the people who were involved with that 
have gone on to their own stuff. Like Johnny Ryan is certainly awesomely in that tradition. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think anyone can doubt about that. And of course, I mean, the, the, the obvious people that you can point to as being heirs to the tradition and the Dan Clowes and, uh, you know, uh, Peter Baggy and of course the Hernandez brothers, um, and, you know, 8 million other guys we can mention and Chris Ware. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, for me, it's always does. been a state of mind. I mean, certainly, you know, I've had debates, you know, even 20 years ago with people, you know, the undergrounds are dead. Oh, it ended in 73 when this, that, or the other thing. And, and I was always even, you know, hey, you know, it's the creators, it's the spirit, you know. You know it when you see it, right? Like whether it's porn or art, you'll know it when you see it. You know right. an underground when you see it, you know. And some things do blur, th do blur the boundaries, but, you know, the idea is to push your thinking beyond the boundary, and that's what undergrounds have always done best. Well, do you think they're going to have to really try to do that even more so now? Because I, I just was thinking of this just now is – you know, we're sort of moving into this into the world where the major like Marvel and DC are setting their stuff up for people to look at it on their iPad and yeah and stuff like that. And, um, you know, and that really it's almost weirder. They're almost moving into the world of the small publisher, too. So do you think that the, you know, say, inner, you know, the e-comics or CBR comics or something like that is going to maybe uh give a give a give new life to uh oh it has to be well when you think about it, first of all it's a new medium to deliver content so right now they're in the hungry for content stage right right uh so no absolutely and that's how you reach people and you get you get the fetishists who will always have to buy the you know small amount of copies you have to physically publish but yeah no it's digital and you have to make it available both i mean all the big boys are day and date digital now. I mean, there'll be at least you know at least one different digital version of the guide, my guide, available around the same time as the hard copy. So, as but and, and we're, we are going to be digitizing a lot of classic undergrounds and getting them back in print that way first. Before oh, we cool! So there's going to be a lot of scanning in my near future. I mean, we've got years worth of projects I'm putting together with the Air Pirates. Speaking of Dan O'Neill and oh. some of the other guys I work with, so. Um, can you list yeah. all those other guys so for the uh, for the audience? Oh, Larry Todd. Um, these are all people I've been seen with in public, so I'm not really, you know, it's, I'm not breaking any confidentiality clauses with these guys. Certainly Dan O'Neill and Ted Richards and, and Larry Todd, um, you know, guys I've known since I was a teenager. Um, then there's going to be digital and hard copy stuff. Uh, just, But I'm getting more into the merchandising too. So right now, the next thing I'm going to have out actually by the end of February for the image show in, in, uh, in Oakland or a set of uh, 13 Robert Crumb medical marijuana recipe cards by Dana Crumb adapted from their Eat It cookbooks of the 70s. Um, and that's, I mean, you're going to find that the pot clubs and those are like the head shops of the future. And uh, the people who would, there's, a lot of people smoking pot out there who don't know who the hell the Freak Brothers are, and I'm going to change that's that. That's bizarre. Yeah, they don't that's know who Dan is. They don't know who Doctor Atomic is, and if I, you know, if I give them a free download, if they buy a Doctor Atomic for President T-shirt from me, and I give them a download code for a free issue of Doctor Atomic, hopefully they'll buy the trade. You know, 
and then we'll sell enough digital trades and we can print a hard copy trade. You know, in the meantime, while I'm working on the next guide, I'm going through and double checking all the different printings of Dope and Dan and Dr. Atomic and Hey listen, uh, if if John Chris Felucci can sell his his cartoons to T V, somebody should sell a a kitty version of the Freak Brothers. You <laughs> know, a, a nice tame version just to get the kids. Well that's the into thing, the there is no compromise with them. That's why no one's successfully pulled it off yet. <laughs> However, it's it's as close as it's ever come, so if there are enough people with money you know, perhaps the claymation version that Gilbert's been working on in England could come to fruition. That would be amazing. But that yeah. YouTube, it's up on YouTube, uh, you know, the um, the trailer, so it is. So, Yeah, I know. saw that. Yeah, so that's pretty cool. But, you know, they've been trying to get that done since things take a while sometimes in show business. I mean, they've been trying to get the Freak Brothers movie done since the late 70s. It took them 10 years to do the Batman movie. It took them 20 years to do the Spider-Man movie. You know, took me 10 years to do uh, Snatch. So, you know, in a few years to do the price guide, three or four years to do each price guide. So, you know, things do take time and people forget afterwards that there is a wait, except for a few crazy anal fanboys who remember the long, long wait between, say, Camelot 3011 and 12 or Watchmen <laughs> 11 and 12 or whatever, you know. But when you read the trade, decades later you're not going to care you don't care exactly that's the beauty of the trade no you don't care and it's long forgotten and um it's funny you say that because you know some of these some of these guys you know that that do take forever and all that the the way i look at it is is it's it's not like from the 60s or the you know where comics were pretty bland and there wasn't a lot of them around there's so much stuff out there. We, we're still in the golden age of of reprints right now. Everything is just amazing. You can go broke, and I've gone broke several times trying to keep up with everything. Sure. Yeah, it's just yeah. amazing, you know? And, you know, first it's yeah. all the hard copy stuff that they brought, and now it's all digital and more yeah, and gee, more. I'm glad I didn't invest in microfiche, boy, huh? <laughs> exactly. You know, well, hundreds of dollars for comic books and microfiche. You gotta buy the microfiche machine. Too. I've always seen the underground world and the independent comic world as being basically, you know, ninety nine point nine 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 percent of the time, if you're drawing a comic book, and even if it's a popular comic book, you're probably not making an awful lot of money, or so you're doing it as a labor of love. And you know, why would you want to be like, oh, well, I have to get an issue out and maybe hack through an issue? to do it you know i'd rather you know i was always like i'd rather have them if it takes them three years to be inspired to finish off uh, chester brown's done that several times oh, where, sure, sure. where he's sort of ended sort of ended a series he had that um underwater series which i was i was really really enjoy i was anticipating every issue that he was just like i think it was going nowhere and yeah i abandoned it and i was kind of pissed off at first and then i'm like well you know why would i want him to keep doing it if he didn't know what sure he, and that's the beauty of underground you get to do what you want when you mm -hmm. want that's why wallywood yeah. did wit's end that's why ditko did his undergrounds because they could find their expression in mainstream but you know the thing is there's a difference between mainstream comics and underground and these they got to keep the the sauce machine churning month after month yeah. so if you yeah. want to be you know if you want to make your brilliant mark you know 
do it at DC or Marvel, but you're not going to own it. Now they have they've had profit participation because of you know the brave pioneers, who, including the underground people who pushed that envelope. But I mean, there were I mean, there I'm sure there are people making a very good living doing it now. But mm-hmm. when you look at the people who were really making money and raking it in, even through the mainstream, you got to go back 30 years and, and see like Paul uh, John Byrne. You know when they started right. getting with the new con. I mean. The contracts, you know, that guys like Shooter and Jeanette, you know, and Paul Levitz, Jeanette Kahn were starting to inter- introduce around that time. Yeah, it nailed down the work for hire thing, which had always been more or less nailed down anyway. They just have to do that every generation. But B, um, it, 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 the profit participation thing started to creep in and become de rigueur the way it was done in the industry. Mm-hmm. So. That was good for everyone across the board, but I don't think there's, you know, whoever is doing FF now, Fantastic Four, I don't think he's making as much as John Byrne did back in the day. Certainly no one's selling as much. My right. own, none of my books are have the print run of what they were, you know, 15 years ago. So, I mean, DC or Marvel would kill for some of my print runs from 20 years ago. So I'm, I'm watching my local comic shop just sort of barely hanging on, it seems like, you know. Like, talking about Andy, yeah, and yeah. and you know, and I notice the general output of comic books is is a lot less. Sure. It, it, lately, and uh, I know, I know, I buy less lately. There's less, and, and yet, and yet, previews is as thick as ever. Diamond previews catalog is as thick as ever. <laughs> Somehow, how is that? There's a lot of people out there with money, dude. And, and, and there's, let's face it, there, it's the, the market has been quite successful in its small area. Um, so that a lot of players can still be coming in and making their mark, like IDW and Boom and all that. But the people who are successful on the DC or Marvel level, they're the ones with the licensed properties, and they're making it off the licensed properties. They're surviving off that. Right. It's not necessarily the new stuff, though they have had a few award when you know there are outstanding new things they've all published as well. So it's always a balancing act. Um, you know. But uh, is there as much good stuff coming out now? In some ways, there's better stuff. But it, it comes in waves. Yeah. You know? And it's, uh, sub- it's so subjective anyway, you know, as to exactly. what Everything stuff Exactly. Everything's someone's golden age. There's some kid reading the new DC 52. And for him, this is the definitive versions of the characters he'll carry mm-hmm. with his years, all his life. Mm-hmm. A you lot know, of it has to do with what age you are when you start reading them and, right. you know. Yeah, Don and Maggie Thompson said, you know, uh, your golden age of comics is when you were 12. Yes, yes. And that is true. And, oh, yeah, I I completely... You see, I'm I'm hoping... This is what I hope sort of springs up soon, and I'm surprised it hasn't. Well, I know there's a lot of people who write fan fiction, but I'm waiting for... For uh, you know, I, I there's a lot of people who'll be talking about oh, I don't like the direction Superman's going in, and I don't like the direction Batman's going in, or all that. I'm waiting for you know that little creative crew to just go ahead and be like, you know what, nothing's stopping us from writing what we think Superman should be like, and just writing it and drawing it and putting it up, you know, like people put up fan fiction, sure. sort of without thinking about copyright or whatever. I'm sort of waiting for that to develop because I have a feeling there could be that could be like one of the things that sort of start sh- shaking things up a little bit. And... Well, how do you do that without? I mean, those all those characters are copywritten. 
Well, you you draw them and you write them and you 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 post them you post them up somewhere until they tell you to take them down. But if you uh, you, you know you could have them posted up on a website, but they could be CBR so that people are torrenting. You know, there's a million ways people distribute. And if they don't let you put them up on the internet, the f- fans will will email them to each other. You know. Well, you know, fan fiction's always been people's ways of expressing how they think things should be. You know. A lot of us got our start, and a lot of us in the underground got our start in, in fan fiction. You and, know. and I think the copyright holders have started. I know, I know, Disney and Lucasfilm have seemed to have realized that a lot of that stuff. If nobody's making money on it, yeah, that's they... the, that's the dividing line. But there's ways. There's certainly Disney wasn't happy with what the Air Pirates did. But they oh had no, to, they had to. They had to admit that it was the real Mickey and Minnie in order to win parts of the case they they want that you know um, that was one of my that was one of the um defining moments of my you know counterculture thinking as a little kid was reading i've never read the air the actual air pirates comics yet and uh jack is working on on fixing that but cool. um i remember reading in in coevolution quarterly the whole dan o'neill had a whole ongoing yeah. series on on the court proceedings and reading that going, really? <laughs> and then, you know, that was a f- my first, you know, that's when I first learned what parody was. And, yeah. you know, that, you know, people could go to jail for drawing a, a comic book and stuff. And and, and, by, and at that time, I'd been reading his comics for years. And I thought of him as just like this, like, cool adult. I didn't think of him as actually being somebody who would do something illegal or that, it you know, that would... Well, sure. Artists have pushed the envelope and been called illegal all the way through it. You know, Dan, you know, the Smithsonian Institution has him listed as an official American revolutionary. And and I think you'll be hearing soon officially of some new letters and honors that are going to be bestowed upon him soon that will be announced around the same time of some of our future publishing plans of the new odd bodkins uh, well that's what jack was saying that they he was still doing odd bodkins and i was i was wondering is that ever that is going to be uh collected or we're or working released? on it now we are in oh. the uh, the, we're in the early stages but let's just say everyone has the same goal it's just a matter of how we're going to get to the goal exactly uh-huh. but yeah we're we're working on it we're working on it hey um speaking before you're talking about parody and, and comic books in court. Mm. Uh, knowing that you... I I remember reading it in Too Much Coffee Man, but I wasn't sure um, when Kieran went to court with LCD, were you called into a, any of that stuff? Or no, you know something? Publishers? Because the one... There were like five full-sized issues published. I mean, further, you know, Kieran did too many comics versions of LCD right. that I saw, and then I said, oh shit, I gotta fucking publish this. And then um, he did the first full-size one in 99, right before I republished a bunch of his other stuff in, in UG 3K. It, right. And that was the issue, the first printing of Zero right. that had the, uh, the Starbucks parody cover, the consumer whore. Right. So, but, you know, I was with Kieran at the WonderCon in San Francisco. No, it wasn't San Francisco then. It was back in Oakland that the Starbucks lawyers just happened to be coming by and saw it was as much the sticker well i didn't publish the comics so they didn't give a shit about me 
it was really the, the Kieran himself and Prodigal Turd Productions, you know, with the stickers and the T-shirts and was it speech, you know. It definitely will stop you in your tracks if you've never seen it, kids. I wear the, the shirt, you know. Absolutely, no. It's it's it's, but it is. It's a political cartoon as a T-shirt, you know. And Kieran won on two of the three cases, and thankfully the comic book legal offense fund came to our rescue. I wrote wrote about it. I think in LCD one. Um, but yeah, no, I was I was with him spiritually and certainly on the phone when we get together during the whole time, and I, I helped him get in touch with the Conflict Legal Defense Fund. Certainly, I was making the calls for him. Um, but yeah, no, I uh, haven't been dragged into court yet. But certainly, you know, if that be my fate in the future, you know, hopefully, I'll be on the winning side of history. Yeah, yeah, hopefully, yeah, it's. Uh... <laughs> For any, you know, anybody uh, listening in through their, you know, secret, super, secret U.S. government software that picks out keywords. I don't know if we've been putting out any, you know, code red words in this podcast, though. Trotsky. Oh, you had to do it, didn't you? (laughs) Yeah, that that would have nailed us in, like, what, 1955 or something, or 1962. (laughs) Although well, although know. we were talking about dirty stuff, and I'll bet you half of the time that's what they're looking for anyway. They're not really looking for terrorists. They're listening. To, they're looking for some good, good dirty talker. They don't have the budget. No, that's you know George Bush himself, Jr. might be personally listening in on every one of us, but <laughs> I'm sure the budget. <laughs> I, I know there's just people out there doing something, but they don't have the budget, and they don't really give a shit about most people. People are just blips to them. G dub. That's what I like when I, you know, I, I, when I have I have friends, you know, and they're so they're, um, you know, nine eleven conspiracy researchers and stuff, and they're like, I don't know if I want to use a landline anymore because it's probably, and I'm like, do you really think <laughs> that like your compilation of information off the internet is any different than? You know, a million other people have compiled the same. And you know, like, how could yeah. they keep track of all you guys and listen to and tap your phones and, you know, yeah, don't worry about it. <laughs> you're you're good. <laughs> That's yeah. I don't I don't worry about you know. I, I read I and I can't remember who said it, but a quote from somebody who was basically saying, you know, when George Orwell um, wrote 1984, he didn't anticipate you know like modern times where we're able to turn that stuff right around so that's why i don't get too paranoid about it you know now now the well, occupy yeah. protesters yeah. they have their own they have their own little drone planes with uh, cameras on them and they they can fly them over the police and see what they're doing when you know now, the playing field's the definitely been leveled and, and yeah there's a lot of good good positive movements going ahead in the future but you know comics need to be part of it i know some people well, are doing I, occupy comics or this or that but i've always or, done political stuff um, certainly political parody. That's one of the things I always loved about the underground. You know, well, I, th- I think a lot of the underground and alternative comics today, there's not with the level playing field of the Internet. Actually, that it, that level playing field is just going to tip towards them because they've been used to, you know, play playing everything by ear for de- ever since they started decades and decades. Sure, But not all of them are really Internet savvy. No, and, well, and, but you there's know, there's a lot more news. I mean, there's a lot more. There's a lot more stuff to wade through, 
online. There's a lot of co online competition and strips and this or that. So it's natural, and some people are making it successful for them. You know, like Bill Griffith certainly is savvy about it, and he emails the Zippy strip out. O'Neill mm -hmm. emails the Zip uh, Odd Bodkins every week, and we're going to be beefing he? up. Yeah, so we'll be beefing up as far as that goes. But yeah. At the end of the yeah, to get the word out, like I said, people need content for their pads and this and that. I know Ted Richards was getting stuff in PDF a couple of years ago, you know. So it's uh, at the end of the day, though, you know, you want them buying the hard copy, and uh, if it leads them into buying a new edition of the work if one's available, or even a back issue from someone who cares, then that's the victory happens, you know. I also think the mindset of people who, who read the, the and draw those kinds of comics is is more towards that they like having a hard copy more than say something on a computer screen because it's actually you know, it's it's a lot of times it's being looked at and this is sounds pretentious even though you know, so let's say it's we'll take snatch comics, but it's a piece of art, you know. It's a it's there's more yeah, court said to say that. Yeah, people were sued on both sides of the country. Yeah, eventually, at the end of the day, certainly. Yeah, forty fucking years later, forty-five years later, absolutely. Well, and and I'll say this: the people had to work harder to get that comic published and find somebody who would publish it, and a lot of times people had to learn the process of printing themselves to do them. So you get something that just has more heart put into it you know oh or, yeah absolutely absolutely or, or you know the paper was cheaper so you know a lot of the underground comics i have still have nice covers you open up the a lot of the paper will be like dark brown you know yeah some of it was never some of it was never white yeah and you do with whatever the hell you had back right then. you know whatever cover stock whatever interior stock you make do with what you got and and that becomes part of it that becomes part of the the whole yeah the idiosyncrasies you know donnie used staying up all night drinking brandy and fucking around with different colors you know uh for limited you know it's just uh everything across the board is a beautiful expression of of art you know or communication uh, on a level that you don't often get with with mainstream comics and you know um you'll never replace holding the physical book you know, as a connection to those feelings or thoughts, you know, right. I mean, you can, I mean, yeah. Okay. Let's say, uh, the cover of Superman 149 or uh, crisis seven, you know, uh, boohoo, the hero's dead, you know, but there's something more, you know, when we see that picture say on someone's blog, there's a different reaction than say we're holding the comic or the reprint, which had the first, you know, mm -hmm. version of it you ever read, you mm -hmm. know, uh, oh, or any book that meant anything to you at the time, right? Um, it'll always mean more to you to have the book in your hand, even if it's not the same copy, you know. Oh, sure. I mean, they're you know they I, they've done scientific studies on the difference between listening to an audio book and reading the actual book, and which parts of the brain are engaged. Yeah. And watching TV and reading a book, and you know reading. Re reading text off a screen and reading text off a piece of paper and when it's always in the physical form it's always seems to be engaging more yeah. of the brain you know more of the 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 less visual lit stimulus you have the more imagination seems to be stimulated in your brain 
Yep, absolutely. So, I mean, there's a reason it's been an effective medium for so long. And yeah, things are going to be changing and continue to change. And honestly, it's amazing so many of these old hippie dudes and beatniks are still alive. But, you know, they're not forever. You know, they're certainly, you know, I'm now the age they were when I met them in a lot of cases. So it's mm-hmm. kind of like there's definitely a generational and having younger guys. There are younger guys getting into it, thank God. Not as many as before, but by getting it out there online and still having still having people like, you know, me in Fan of Graphics and Last Gasp representing at shows, you know, hopefully uh, we'll continue to make it available uh, one way or another. Um, this has been awesome, guys. Thank you so yes. much for having me. Um, hopefully you'll have me on again later in the year so I can continue to pimp my projects as they come along. No, we definitely want to check in with you on a, on a regular basis. Yeah, so I, I was going to ask me outside of the uh, so the assumption is is you're going to try and get the new fug out this year then? Oh, it's going to be out in December. December of this year, unequivocally, yes, sir. Is there uh, any other projects you have? Uh, you're not planning that along with the Aztec calendar, are you? Well, I've always been into the whole 2012 thing since the mid 70s. You know, the whole chariots, the god, Bermuda Triangle mm-hmm. angle. So I've always known that. Frankly, I welcome the welcome the Mayan space gods if they want to come. Yeah, me too. That's oh, wow. fine. It's cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's totally cool with me. But you know, um, you know, December twenty twelve, uh, December twenty fourteen, December twenty sixteen. You know, those are good times to get the fuck out. So um, I don't <laughs> want to do it full time. So it's the only thing I'm doing. And yeah, I've got. It's a memorable date, that's for sure. Oh, absolutely. So fuck two, December twenty twelve. Let's go for it. Let's, um, I'll have the crumb recipe, you know, pot cards out at the end of February. Um, hopefully I'll have a project or two out. I can be announcing at the, the Big Wow in San Jose. And, um, you know, we'll have, se- we'll have several different kinds of merchandising out from different cartoonists by then, too. So there'll be several crumb projects and various other things. And this other stuff, may, you know, will pop up one way or another. Larry Todd, uh, Ted Richards, Dan O'Neill. Um, some things I've been working, you know, or things fall into place sooner. You know, the Inari Vox Adult Star Stories, my porn comic, porn star comic line is. And so things, things burble up when they burble up. But you know, I can say with confidence now, since we've got our groove going, that the the new Fug will be out in December of this year. Um, Great. Well. So. Uh, uh, again, thank you, true believers. Yeah, thank Enough you said, for Fendi. <laughs> thank um, you for, yeah, taking an hour out of your, I'm sure, insanely busy schedule. Yep, it's one or the other, and usually both at the same time. <laughs> but, uh, and, thanks uh, again, guys. And yes, I will. Uh, I will touch base with you later, and, and best of luck with the new show. All right, thanks. Thanks. Yeah, help. Thanks for uh, helping us christen the the funny book underbelly oh no worries and, and we will certainly uh get this out to all the usual suspects yes um, that we can through this interwebs and so. hopefully there'll be people suckling up to the underbelly let us hope let us hope <laughs> it, is, it is a up. tender it is a tender and succulent underbelly it <laughs> is. he puts the sound effects in after posts yes
Do you ever find yourself going to Amazon.com and uh, buying some record or movie or some stupid thing that two true freaks have been talking about so that you can catch up on it or you've been reminded of it or something? Well, now, how about this? Instead of going to Amazon.com, go to twotruefreaks.libsyn.com and follow our link to Amazon.com. When you do that, if you buy something over at Amazon, we get a little cut out of it, which is awesome because we love money and it won't cost you a thing. Did you know... You can sponsor an episode of this or any other of your favorite Two True Freaks affiliated shows. That's right. Simply click the PayPal link on our website, donate any amount at all, tell us which show you're choosing and what message, if any, you'd like us to read on your behalf, and you will be an official sponsor of that show's very next episode with your message read in the show's opener. It's that easy, and there is no minimum donation. Be a show sponsor today. Visit our website at twotruefreaks.libson.com. Two True Freaks is always spelled T-W-O-T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S. Libson is spelled L-I-B-S-Y-N. You can email Two True Freaks directly at twotruefreaks at gmail.com. Join our forum at forumforgeeks.com, where you can discuss all of the shows on our feed with us and your fellow listeners. You can find Two True Freaks on Facebook. Just search for Two True Freaks. And hey, you can friend me, Scott Gardner, on Facebook, too. My name is spelled S-C-O-T-T-G-A-R-D-N-E-R. You can friend me on Facebook, too, if you can find me. Now available, Two True Freaks t-shirts. See our website for details. Two True Freaks is a very proud member of the Comics Podcast Network. You can check that out at www.comicspodcast.com, where you can hear our new episodes when we put them up. We are also members of the League of Comic Book Podcasts. For more information, visit comicbooknoise.com slash league. If you ever leave your house and you actually have friends, why don't you tell them about Two True Freaks? Thanks for listening. And join us every Monday for new episodes of Two True Freaks. Two True Freaks has been brought to you today by Damanzo Corps of Milan, Italy, and by the letters F and U.